I'm going to start with telling you guys right now, this one's going to be different. NFL Week 1, let's go! We haven't been on in a while. Do your ears deceive you? They absolutely do. Yes, they do. And no, they don't. You're familiar with this song. You're familiar with our intro as usual. This is the Yenko podcast today. Because of many things going on, we couldn't get together. We couldn't fit it in. But I didn't feel like it was right to not have a podcast to at least address fantasy week one, NFL week one. And then, of course, everything leading up to week one before we start week two. Welcome, friends. Welcome, everyone that is joining me today. Shout out to the missing partners of the CYJ podcast. It's going to be new for me as well as it's going to be new for everyone. But I hope you enjoy it and let's get going. Let's start with fantasy, guys. Let's start with fantasy. Let's start with most of the people that listen to this podcast are in the infamous FFF League. And the league started a little different this year. The league started with more players, different rules, and a couple of different takes with different draft picks. And now, time has passed too much since we had drafted or have drafted to go and break down everyone's team, everyone's draft, everyone's picks, and everyone's everything. So I don't think it's worth having that done already but what we can do is just kind of look at the overall summary of the divisions who's where who what's everyone started with and then i'm just going to nitpick at a couple of the close games that we had we had some blowouts we had some uh definitely some close endings and let's just get started so into the division where the two aldaz are which is myself yanko and uh, Josh, who is master deflator, you have the, the North Division. Now, bring up those two teams because those are the teams that went to the championship last year. Obviously, master deflator taking that chip with him. However, in a week one redemption, we had Team Yanko, aka myself, come in and just win. Win with the final score being 134 with 44 points to 111.98 i've seen i've seen bigger blowouts i'm not considering this a blowout however to the demise of master deflator and i think this is going to be something that is consistent more evergreen across the board is that one of the new things that we're doing the fff is that we had 16 teams and with 16 teams some of these positions are slim pickings and just to highlight some of the things that uh, were some of those Slim Pickens is the running back position. And that's exactly where both myself and Master Deflator hurt. Now, given, could there have been any more of of a better perfect storm for him or for I to have a running back on our team that only scored total between two running backs 0.20 points? What other week am I going to face or is Master Deflator going to face someone that is going to have the same position on the opposing teams going against each other and only score basically zero, absolutely zero. Really, the difference maker here was uh, not necessarily other positions that are customarily going to be high picks or positions of wealth. The difference was tight ends 
Darren Waller versus Anthony Ferkser. We talked about it on the podcast before. We're going to continue to talk about it as we go on through the NFL season on how some of these constant tight ends, although very few, put up huge numbers. And then there's a drop-off into the rest of the tight ends. I firmly believe there's going to be tight ends that are going to come out of the woodworks that we're not familiar with. Heck, some of these tight ends might be on someone's bench right now because of the slim pickings that we have in the 16-team league. Now, it goes to note, and I'll get into the actual NFL games in a bit, we have to note that tight end Darren Waller was attempted to throw on Monday night 19 times. 19 times. That's insane on how many targets he got. However, that just goes to show uh, what great of a player he is and one of the very few weapons that Las Vegas Raiders have. But you all know I'm a Raiders fan. I'm not going to take too much of a deep dive into it just yet. The difference really was Darren Waller. He had 26.5 points against Anthony Ferkser's 5.9. There was a couple of small discrepancies here and there uh, between us, but that was really the one that stood out. So Yanko goes 1-0, Master Deflator goes 0-1, which in the North Division, it seems to be that it's the division of death based on historically what's gone on. How we finished last year, how you People that have been in the FFF longer than just 2020 have fared out, right? You guys know how some of the guys are really just repetitive. And our own commish who have started it has been pretty relevant himself. He's not a, a team that you can push aside and just consider it an ultimate W. No, Los Chicharitos did play Gronky Kong. And although it was a good game, it was a really close game until the very end. If you guys have the WhatsApp uh, text message group that we were at, at one point, I could feel the emotion coming through this WhatsApp group app chat of Chicharito's desperation for points, desperation for Lamar Jackson to do something, something. And I think the best recap for that particular matchup was that Gronky Kong ekes out of victory. I mean, by the hair on his chinny chin chin, if he has any, ladies and gentlemen. And the fact of the matter is, is that Lamar Jackson was the guy that was supposed to carry Los Chicharitos. But what ultimately was the difference maker? And as we look at the comparisons, uh, you can look at your matchup outcome if you look log into your NFL Fantasy uh, app or through the website and kind of get a quick summary. The biggest difference, or really the difference that carried Gronky Kong over, wasn't the quarterback, wasn't the running back position, because those were fairly close. It was, again, the tight end position. Los Chicharitos had Mike Gusecki that gave him a total of a wondrous one point against the tight end in Denver that got 7.6 points. Not to say that 7.6 points is a big number, because it really isn't. I think it's less than average, but it was enough to make a difference of six points, which if you look at the final score, the final score was 125 to 121. So tight ends again in the North Division, which some have said is the division of death. As we move on to the division of the East, we had a couple of matchups where it was really a blowout. We had Austin Whitehead's Go against LA Lambs, and that was a blowout. 143 to 91. No really need to deep dive into that one. If you guys go to the summary, and if you're playing one of those teams this week, I highly encourage for you to study up and get the best 
matchup that you can get because Austin Whitebeards was able to score some heavy points and how much of that was really a one-week wonder. We'll find out. LA Lambs, it hurts, but hey, at least your team, the LA Rams, won. And I benefited from Matthew Stafford gelling with his new offense, and we'll get into that in a little bit later. The other matchup we had was CD Goats and COVID-49. Now, CD Goats and COVID-49 was nearly as much of a big blowout as uh, Austin Whitebeards versus LA Lambs. That score was 119-76. to Again, no really deep dive there. There's a significant difference in points, and I don't think it's uh, apparent of the league having teams that are weak. I think it's more of a positional weakness, and it really just went on how you drafted, what you thought your position was going to be that was going to carry you, what you put the most value in. I'll tell you guys what I did. I went high on tight end. And speaking to Makina de Juego, who auto-drafted his first pick, he was good. He auto well, he didn't want to. He couldn't connect. I was able to visit with him this past week. He was out of town as much as uh, most of a lot of us were, including myself in El Paso. And he just couldn't connect. He was having difficulty. So his team auto-drafted Travis Kelsey. And that turned out to be good for him. But that was my approach this year. My first round pick was going to be Travis Kelsey or, in this case, Darren Waller, where I knew they're going to get me points. I knew they belong to a team that needs them. And I knew that they're positionally going to get points on the fantasy team that I wanted to be on. So I put a high value on tight ends, and it turned out good for me. And it turned out good for Maquina de Juego. But we'll get there. In the Divisions 3, FFF South, you have Los Mireyes, Los Osos, Healthy Dynamic, and Fly Eagles Fly. The matchups there was Los Mireyes versus Fly Eagles Fly, and that's probably the biggest blowout that we had at 167 to 94. That's over 70 points of a difference, and that, my friends, there isn't a player that's going to get you that many points. One sole player getting you 70 points plus, it doesn't happen. It may happen this year with an extreme case. However, that's probably the biggest blowout that we had this week. Shout out to uh, both teams, one for effortlessly trying and one for getting the most points in the league. So shout out to Los Mireyes with his lineup and his picks. The other matchup was Healthy Dynamic, who this year got to wear the pink shirt of I lost the Fantasy Football League to the draft. And if you weren't there, well, you missed out. Healthy Dynamic played Los Osos, and that was relatively close. I think that one could have gone a little bit in any direction. Los Osos, new to the league, and had a big game from Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon gave him 25 points, which ultimately was a little surprising because Alvin Kamara for Healthy Dynamic only gave him 18 points. So let's take a deeper dive into what the difference was. And if you would have told me to look at the lineup and said, what's going to be the biggest difference? Well... Two things stood out to me. I would have never guessed that the defense in Arizona was going to total 24 points against Tennessee, which, by all means, guys, did anyone really see that? And if you did, hit us up next week because I want to know your reasoning. I want to know. I did say myself on this podcast that I think the Arizona Cardinals are a dark horse, and they definitely tried to show that in week one, and Los Osos benefited from that, totaling 24 points from this defense. The biggest glaring difference was the flex position for Los Osos versus Healthy Dynamic. Healthy Dynamic started Brandon Ayuk, which I think 99% of this league would have started in that flex position. And he got a big, fat zero burger 
for Brandon Ayuk. In comparison to Corey Davis, wide receiver for the Jets, first game with the Jets coming from Tennessee, ironically, at 26 points. 26 points. So just, just those two alone were significant enough to carry Los Osos from uh, that separation or to give Los Osos that separation from healthy dynamic. So kudos to Los Osos and picking up uh, those players and plugging them in. But at the same time, I'm sure healthy dynamics going to bounce back and as well as the other teams uh, that have lost and we've talked about so far. The last division that we had was Division 4, the FFF West, where we had newcomers, Bear Force 1, Máquina de Fuego, the 52ers, and Hall of Lame, a division of newbies in the FFF. Really the four that uh, came into the league uh, with an addition of a couple, but well, no, it's those four. I retract my statement. Those four are the newbies. So Bear Force 1, a.k.a. Princesita, played Hall of Lame. And that game was about a 24-point difference, uh, Bear Force 1. And I'm going to mention these teams because they're new. Bear Force 1 highest scorer on his bench, or not his bench, but on his roster, was Tyreek Hill at 37 points. And a lot of those points were that ridiculous throw from Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, where really it was a desperation throw. If you were to see the comments and the after-game uh, post-conference that they gave, Patrick Mahomes basically said, to the heck with it, I'm just going to throw it because I know that Tyreek's in that part of the field. And when you have a speedster, when you have trust and a relationship from a quarterback to a wide receiver, like the bond that they have, you have the luxury of doing that. So he had 37 points, and I'm sure Hall of Lame on Thursday night, Dallas versus Tampa Bay, South City Lamb racked up 23 points and said, hey, I've, I'm sitting pretty for game one. But another big difference here, again, the tight end position. TJ Hawkinson for Bear Force 1 scored 25 points in comparison to Jono Smith, who had 10 points. And I think Jono Smith fumbled. I'm trying to do this as much as uh, off of memory as I can and trying to keep up with all the stats and all the stuff that happened. But if that's going to be my correction, that's a small one. Again, the tight end position standing out and in favor of Bear Force 1. So behind a sizzling showing from Tyreek Hill, Bear Force 1 tops Hall of Lame. Again, uh, not to honorable mention, Christian McCaffrey for Hall of Lame had 27 points, uh, 27 points total, a little more than 27. And I think Christian McCaffrey is going to carry that team in some situations similar to the one that he faced, but obviously on the winning side. Last game we want to talk about is Máquina de Fuego. And Máquina de Fuego played the 50 tours. And Máquina de Fuego, I stand corrected, stand beat Los Mireyes in regards to how many points they scored. Máquina de Fuego came in strong at 176. So kudos to Máquina de Fuego, except your auto-draft pick, which ended up being tight end Travis Kelsey and got you 25 points. So the computer got you 25 points, Máquina de Fuego. Regardless, Máquina de Fuego won against the 52ers, both newcomers. And the difference here was really the defense. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense got him 20 points in comparison to the Kansas City Chiefs defense that got him 8 points. And then again, the tight end position. Travis Kelsey scoring 25 points and Noah Fant for the 52ers getting 12 points. I think that's more average. That's more doable. But when you play in that tight end position and you just go one for one, the stronger tight ends are always going to result usually, not always, but usually are going to score more because they are relevant to their team and get a lot of attention, not only from the offense, but 
Some of these guys might start getting a lot of attention from the defense, the opposing defense. And we'll see as the league progresses, as the year goes on, how those go. So week two coming up, we've got, you know, some matches that are going to be some people that are going to be stuck with a one and one record. Or you can ultimately already be with two losses going with 0-2. So this week's matchups, we're going to have Team Yenko versus Gronky Kong, a division matchup, which as of now and how it stands... Gronky Kong, I think, is projected to win based on points. A lot of us who started the week uh, really didn't meet to the qualifications or the, not qualifications, but projected points. So projected points, uh, the difference is about 15 points. I'll take it. Obviously, I'm going to cheer for Team Yenko. I think he's a great guy. <laughs> That's me. But we're going to have Team Yenko versus Gronky Kong, Austin Whitebeards versus Los Chicharitos, COVID-49 versus Master Deflator, LA Lambs versus CD Goats, Bear Force One versus Los Osos. That sounds like a family affair. Hopefully, that's not a house divided. Healthy Dynamic versus Los Mireyes, Fly Eagles Fly versus the 50 Tours, and Maquina de Fuego versus Hall of Lame. So I can't wait to see what we get and how it progresses. Obviously, a lot of us are in different fantasy leagues aside from the FFF. So I hope all of that went well for you guys. I'm in about, uh, let me try to rethink here. I think I'm in five leagues and I went uh, three and two, three wins, two losses. So not bad. I'll take it. Some of these, uh, I really, I mentioned it last time, I really don't care for. And one of the ones I don't care for, I actually won uh, by a significant margin on auto draft. Yes, I auto drafted, but I auto drafted for the ones where basically I was forced to be in or I'm in as a courtesy because I've been knowing the people for a while. So again, week two coming up starting tomorrow with the Giants and the Washington football team oops i almost said redskins what's the washington football team and if you have some players there you're going to be looking at a couple if you had ryan fitzpatrick on your roster for fantasy you might as well just already have found either tyler henneke to replace him which i don't recommend starting in any way shape or form but picking up uh fantasy quarterbacks that were available or even trade start trading saquon barkley is questionable and you've got a couple of players that are on the fringe. Kenny Galladay, Slayton. And, and as you start to progress through the week, you're going to get more status updates on your players. But again, tomorrow, Washington versus the Giants of New York. Now, I'm going to go back and forth here a little bit. I want to cover week one as in its entirety. And I'm sure as if the other guys were here, we would have done as well. So I want, I'm going to go to the week one NFL news i'm going to go with some observances that i had and then just some personal takes uh that were observances observations observations is a word observations that i was able to observe that professionals also saw some season ending injuries to some pretty significant players we already mentioned fitz magic and then uh, i'm just going to finish it out with some stardom sit -em weeks for week two for football Fantasy, and then my predictions for real game uh, week two movements that are going to go on. So what happened in week one? In week one, we had some upsets uh, for sure. And I think it's only easy to start with last Thursday night where we had the Bucks versus the Cowboys. And what a game, guys. Honestly, what a game. And it's easy to dissect the mistakes and the or better said, poke holes in the success and the failures of each team. 
But ultimately, it came down to experience. It came down to Tom Brady being the GOAT, getting that look in his eye, going down the field, and securing the last score. Now, there were a couple of questionable calls. Did Tom Brady look like his age? He keeps defying it, guys. He keeps defying the age. He keeps defying just the overall stereotype of what a quarterback should be. But he was able to take his team, march it down the field, as everyone thought he would, and win the game at the end with a field goal. Now, a couple of questionable calls. For example, did Godwin commit offensive pass interference towards the end that made that big catch to position them uh, for that score? My personal opinion, I think he did. There's a little bit of that push. There's a little bit of separation. But we've all seen the games where referees let them play out. They tend to bite their tongues a little bit, the referees. Well, they'll make that call earlier in the game. But if you are if you see the NBA, especially the NBA playoffs, towards the end of games, they let the players play. The quarterbacks, the secondary for the Cowboys... I think we're better than last year, at least what we were able to see. Overall, the defense and overall the Cowboys in general were better than what we saw last year, especially with Dak coming back. However, when you play Tom Brady coming off a Super Bowl win with no hangover, obviously, a couple of drops here and there from his offense, a couple of blunders from his defense, but everyone's knocking off Russ. And it really just came down to maturity and better coaching. Why do I say better coaching? Well, first and foremost, there was a play that was very significant in the Bucks cowboys game where the Cowboys had a zero coverage. Tom Brady read that like a book converted the play that put them in scoring position, or I think they scored. Another one, having Greg the leg, your kicker, go for a 60-yard field goal when he had already missed. Now, ultimately, the difference was a field goal, right? And the kicker, Greg Zerline, missed, I think, two field goals in a PAT or two PATs in a field goal. Regardless, he missed kicks. And in a high-profile, high-stakes game like that, everyone has to be perfect. Everyone has to be in their game. And kudos to the Cowboys because they were able to overcome a lot of those mistakes, a lot of that play calling that was a little questionable, and still be competitive. Now, as a Cowboys fan, I'm sure you can find silver lining. Heck, I'm guilty of it. A moral victory in such ways that you think, okay, I'll take it. it we should have we should have lost. It was projected that we would have lost. We almost won. So I'll take it and we'll move forward. That one game could be the difference between you or the Cowboys making the players a lot. That one playoffs, that one game affects that morale in the locker room. That one game, believe me, as a Raiders fan, I've seen it, makes you question play calls internally, right? Coaching staff, players, confidence, and a whole lot that happens immediately after a game with that caliber. I mean, heck, any game. But when you're on national television, you're the first team to play for the 2021's uh, football season, and you're playing against Tom Brady, and you, I think it hurts more when you're so close to winning. Look, Dak, I have him on, fan, I have him on fantasy. He put up some great numbers. As a matter of fact, he's one, he's in the top five passing yards total for this NFL Week One. Uh, shout out to Derek Carr who passed for the most, but anyway, that was out of necessity. Regardless, at over 400 yards. He showed that he's back. He was a little, 
He wasn't necessarily as nimble on his feet as I remember him being prior to injury, but he definitely wasn't inhibited. C.D. Lamb showed up. Amari Cooper showed up. You know who didn't? Zeke Elliott. And there's a couple of thoughts, right? At the half, he had four carries total. Four carries. This is a guy that you have paid. This is a guy that is supposed to be part of your big three, a staple in your offense, and you have four carries? I'm not sure if it was to really put a spotlight on Dak to show the world that he's back, or it was a defensive scheme that inhibited Zeke's performance. But did that stop Barry Sanders with defensive schemes? Did that stop Garrison Hurst in San Francisco when he was doing that? Did that, did that stop the greats like, man, what's his name? Uh, Denver running back who had migraines. You guys who are listening, you know who I'm talking about, and you're probably shouting it out to your radio or, or thinking it loudly in your headphones. I just can't remember right now, but did they'll stop those guys from being great? Marcus Allen, Bo Jackson, of course I got to say them, right? I mean, heck, on Monday, Josh Jacobs against a reputable defense, right? I would consider the Ravens a reputable defense, a strong defense. With a busted toe, although he only had no more than 30 yards, he provided touchdowns. Now, as a Cowboys fan, I can understand that it wasn't, it was a different play call. It was scheming. It was the defense. Move all of that aside. I don't care. You have a stud in the backfield. You've got a guy who has been training, who lost weight, to be more nimble, to be faster, to be more agile, to have better cuts. And you only used them four times by halftime? Now, given he he had a little bit more carries in the second half, but is that a winning recipe? Is Are you going to expect Dak to pass for 400 yards plus every game? And that's considering that you don't have Amari... CD, you lost your other receiver Gallup in that game for three to five weeks. Now, Cedric Wilson was there and he's a pickup, you know, and shout out to sleepers and fantasy, right? But I just don't think that's a winning formula. They were competitive. They played their guts out. They played their heart out. But ultimately, the Cowboys came up short. And could it be a, said as a moral victory? Yes, it could have been. Could it be seen as the silver lining? We're here. We're back. Cowboys all the way. Yeah, probably, but it's still a loss and it still stings. Now, moving on to week one as a whole, we had some surprises. We had some injuries and the news is there's a plethora of news. Guys, week one in a, in a resu- as a whole definitely had its winners and its losers. And before we jump into what specifically uh, what they were, I don't think I need to go over who won and who lost because as fantasy football players and uh, fans of the sport, we know who won. We know that the Saints beat the brakes off the Packers. We know that the Cardinals destroyed the Titans. That there were some close games. That Jalen Hurts, shout out to Yenko. Hey, hey, what's up, Yenko? Did you shout, did you say that Jalen Hurts was going to be good? I think you did, right? Hey, good job, Yenko. Pat on the back. That Jalen Hurts was going to be phenomenal in Atlanta. Or that the mere fact that there were some upsets that no one thought about, right? So I'm just going to go over a couple of losers from week one and a couple of winners, and you see what I mean. So a loser, and I think the biggest loser of week one is Aaron Rodgers. Guys, 
the drama continues. Rodgers spent the offseason openly rebelling against Packers management, making it seem like he was the league's reigning MVP and was interested to play elsewhere. But in the end, the Packers were unwilling to deal Rodgers, right? Who eventually came to terms with the fact that for better or for worse, he was going to stay in Green Bay. And right now, that marriage, it seems like the worst part is going. And in Rodgers' season's debut, which Rodgers is a future Hall of Famer, he played one of the worst games in his career. I think he only scored like one, maybe two points in fantasy. And here you have the NFL's all-time career leader in interceptions or the rate tossing ugly interceptions, lazy interceptions that you'll ever see in an, in an NFL game. He threw it into coverage. I, he threw five interceptions last season. Five total interceptions. This week... In week one, he's already thrown two. The third time in his career that he's done that. And he's been in the league for 16 years. His passer rating, 36.8. The better quarterback in that game was the guy eating W's. Jameis Winston. Now, to end the game, the Packers debuted backup quarterback Jordan Love, who they selected in the 2020 NFL Draft. And normally, it would be shocking for the 37-year-old quarterback Aaron Rodgers to uncharacteristically have a bad game. But Father Time is undefeated. He's 37, unless you're Tom Brady. He isn't washed, but we saw him have arguably the best year of his career last year to move into this year. And simply, he just looks disinterested. Definitely a tough start for Aaron Rodgers and definitely a tough start to the Green Bay Packers organization. Another loser were the fans in Washington. Oh my gosh, did you guys see this? There was a sewage line that burst over fans during the game. In the first quarter, your face as a fan, your jersey, your hat, everything you're wearing was covered in sewage and human feces. Now, FedEx Field routinely is ranked as one of the NFL's worst stadiums. It's old, it's lifeless, it's far from a metro stop, and that's before the risk of finding out what it's like to live life near that stadium. And I'm, I'm picking this up from some research that I've done, but the Washington football team is literally pissing on their fans, and they piss away their win as they lost to uh, a team that I thought maybe they could have beat. I don't think the Washington uh, football team should have lost, or better said, should have been out. Now, given <sighs> Fitzpatrick left the game with a horrible, horrible injury. I think he dislocated his hip. Ouch. And in a 20-16 to 16 loss to the Chargers, if you saw just game highlights, they were both in that game. And I think that Fitzpatrick staying in that game would have been a lot closer. But the Chargers played a decent defense. And if you held... Justin Herbert to only and his offense to only 20 points and the defense coming from a guy who threw over 4,000 yards with not a complete season with the hype of Keenan Allen and yes, 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 yes the prominence of Mike Williams wide receiver for the Chargers I think they could have beat him I think they could have beat him and I actually picked them uh, to win uh, last week but needless to say that's not a a good situation. That's a 
crappy situation. Moving on to some winners of week one. How about the Rams and their Stafford marriage? For the past few seasons, the NFL had seen a great offense in LA, right? With Sean McVay famously excellent offense that ran through Jared Goff, it was going to be obvious that moving Stafford was going to be even better, right? Well, Stafford spent the year putting up huge numbers in Detroit, and why wouldn't that translate over to the Rams in LA? It was a risky move, but to some, I think it was great, but to some, it was risky. That ended up being what seems to be a great future, at least for the 2021 season for the Rams and Stafford. He had Van Jefferson for long, a 67-yard bomb, and then he had Cooper Cup go off. He had, you know, he went 20 for 26 for 321 yards, three touchdowns with a passer rating of 156, which is the highest passer rating of his 13-year career. And in the post-game press conference, McVeigh subtly hinted that Goff had been holding his team back for a bit. He said, and I quote, you're not limited in anything you can do in the pass game with Stafford being behind center. Ouchtown population, Jared Goff. You know, one of the other losing things that uh, happened, and I almost forgot to mention it, were the rookie QB gadgets. The Niners put in, the Bears put in their rookie QBs, and although they ended up scoring, Jimmy Garoppolo and Andy Talton remained the starting quarterbacks. Rookies Trey Lance and Justin Fields each took a handful of snaps, and they mainly played near the goal line in short yardage situations, but evidently, due to the fact that they're better runners than, respectively, Garoppolo and Dalton, they had success in that pocket of time. The packages were highly successful, with both resulting in scores. Lance threw a touchdown, which is his first official one. Fields completed both of his passing attempts and scored his touchdown by rushing in, right? So as a Bears fan that we have in the league, as a Niners fan that we have in the league, how do you guys feel? Are these gimmicks worth it? Are they worth bringing in and bringing out the the quarterbacks from a rookie standpoint to get a score? Risk injury? Or should we just leave them in? So you Should the... Franchises just leave leave them in. This reminds me and is reminiscent of the way that the Ravens used Lamar Jackson in his rookie season. A coaching decision that nearly cost Baltimore a trip to the playoffs that year. Honestly, the Ravens started 4-5 and five that year. Joe Flacco was playing miserably. And when Jackson came in for a couple of trick plays and occasionally playing, yes, even wide receiver, they eventually benched Flacco, put in Lamar, and won 6 of their last 7 to make the playoffs. Will the Niners... Do that with Garoppolo. I mean, if you remove that one touchdown that Trey Lance did, Garoppolo put up 37 points against the Lions. Yes, it's the Lions. And the Bears struggled mightily with Dalton. So two completely different contrasts in regards to a variety of dumb mistakes by the Bears or a variety and just results, right? Win for Jimmy, loss for Dalton. Exactly what you can't have of a 10-year plane specifically to prevent a rookie from making uh, a come to, to take your job is exactly what Andy Dalton did. He didn't look good. He didn't look good at all. Uh, we had a couple of college buddies who made winning connection. Jalen Hurts to Devontae Smith. You had your quarterback in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, hit Jamar Chase, which all of the talk about Jamar Chase looking horrible in the preseason Ended up looking great in his first game. 
It goes to show that you can't really take for what it's worth what goes on in the preseason, right? And then we had Tua hit Waddle in New England, which ultimately uh, the Dolphins ended up winning that game. Now, another loser. The Patriots fumbling running backs. Jeez, that was a hurtful one. I enjoy seeing the Patriots lose. I'm not going to lie. But if their running back doesn't fumble where they do, they win that game. So shout out to the Dolphins defense who stepped up and helped the Tua-led offense to that only scored, I think, a measly 17 points, which I, I don't think is, is something that should shock us, right? The Patriots always bring a defense that are going to give you a hard time. But when Harris fumbles on the nine-yard line and it's a one-score game, that hurts. I don't care who you are. That hurts. So the Patriots lose their season opener by a point on the nine-yard line. But that wasn't the craziest one, right? But we'll get to that game that I'm alluding to, a.k.a. Go Raiders, in a bit. A winner, the Jets. Now, you might think the Jets didn't win. Let me rephrase that. Winner, the ex-Jets. Did you guys see Sam Darnold connect with Robbie Anderson for 57 yards? Both ex-Jets players burning their former team. That must have felt great. That must have felt awesome. And it, it looked fairly easy. Darnold threw for 234 yards in the first half. And he repeatedly claimed that beating the Jets didn't feel any better or worse than beating any other felt team. But you can't tell me that that's the truth. It must have felt at least pretty good to beat your former team. Now, can the Jets, the Jets make a case for themselves with rookie Zach Wilson? He looked mediocre. He's a rookie. He is the second overall pick. However, you have a whole new coaching staff with a new quarterback. I'm going to cut the Jets a little bit of slack because they're playing a Panthers team that had a quarterback that lived and breathed in New York for the Jets for a while. So you can't tell me that's not an advantage. Another loser was the Scottish hammer drop. And what do, you, what do you think I mean by the Scottish hammer drop? Well, the guy's name is Jamie Gillian. Long-haired Scottish punter for the Browns. And what did he do? Well, he dropped the ball, tried to scramble, and eventually got tackled for a loss of 8 yards, giving Kansas City the ball at the... 15-yard line when the score was 29-27 in favor of Cleveland. Ouch, down population. Jamie Gillian. He lost his freedom. He lost his freedom. If he were a star on, uh, if he would have been in the movie with Mel Gibson, Braveheart, he would have been one of the first to be executed because that put the Browns in a tough spot. Now, given... Baker Mayfield had two opportunities that the last one ended up in an interception, two opportunities to go down the field, score and win. But we've all seen it. There's teams that you can play and you play hard and you play against and you beat them. And then there's teams that you just, as good as you are, you can't seem to get over the hump. Obviously, the Chiefs easily scored on that short field, taking a 33 to 29 win overall. And... It's not like Gillian screwed up because he's some, from some foreign football novice who's never caught a ball and never kicked a ball. It must have just been nerves. I mean, I think something that we have to consider, guys, is that a lot of these players ended up playing a whole season, practicing, and going through motions without crowd noise. Arrowhead is one of the loudest places to play in. I know for a fact we see the Chiefs once a year, every year. 
and it is crazy there. I think they almost hit a record that Seattle hits with the 12th man, but hey, you have to do everything right to beat the Chiefs, and the Browns almost did everything right. A winner was supposedly the worst team in the NFL. Did you guys check out the Texans and how they dismantled the Jaguars with Goldilocks? Trevor Lawrence with first-year coach, coach Urban Meyer. Look, Mark Ingram, Tyrod Taylor, Brandon Cooks. They all looked to jive. They all looked to be good. And the Texans' new coach, David Cooley, who had never been an offensive coordinator outside of a two-year stint in our hometown, UTEP, in the late 80s, got their quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, who was a journeyman after losing the a job to getting stabbed in the lung by the Chargers doctor kicked some Jaguar but he balled out throwing for 291 yards and two touchdowns with zero interceptions needless to say that the Houston defense which was trading away a lot of its players even up leading up to the week one picked off Trevor Lawrence three times at one point it was Texans 34 Jaguar 7 and it must be a big bummer for Texans fans right now knowing that Watson certainly and almost isn't worth the 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 lack. It's become and left a crater in that organization that just won't go away and can't fill until you get some closure with him. But there won't be many wins for the Texans, I don't think. This is a win that they'll cherish. This is a win that they'll take with the franchise right now that basically just needs to enjoy life. Friends, week one was amazing. Week one was everything we wanted to be. We started with a great game on Thursday night and ended up with an awesome, awesome, awesome game on Monday night. And guys, look, I'm going to have two perspectives here. Raider fan perspective and not non-Raider fan perspective. I'm going to start with Raider fan perspective. I was going back and forth with Master Deflator, a.k.a. Josh, a.k.a. Uh, Cousin Adrian, who were, were both avid uh, Raiders fans. And when we saw that Derek Carr was force-feeding Derek Waller and that the offense seemed to do absolutely, positively nothing, going with a bunch of three and outs and falling behind 14-0, I thought that was it. Interesting stat that the Ravens, when going up under the leadership of John Harbaugh, when going up 14-0, were undefeated. Undefeated. And gentlemen, that if you would have told me that the Raiders were going to come back and beat the Ravens after 14-0, I would have thought that was ridiculous. I would have thought that's, that's not possible. It's not going to happen. But it did it did, and it was amazing because you know what Derek Carr did? Derek Carr did what no NFL QB has done more. The stat is no NFL QB has more game-winning drives since 2015 than Derek Carr. He has 24, which is three more than any other QB. Now, that could be a big thing or a very negative thing, always playing from behind. But it takes mental fortitude. It takes grit. It takes dynamic and it takes some cojones to be under the bright lights and drive back and win games the Raiders don't win a lot of games and mostly 
I'm probably I'd like to know the stat in what those 24 games were. But let's be honest, guys. Josh has said this on the podcast. Also, Derek Carr, John Gruden, and Mike Mayock need to prove themselves this week. If you really think about the overtime win, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at it this way. In overtime, the Raiders scored three times. Okay? Three times. One, Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards was phenomenal towards the end. And that's a sleeper that Josh mentioned, right? He not only threw it to Brian Edwards to get with 37 seconds left into field goal position and have Daniel Carlson, who's apparently turning out to be one of the better kickers in the NFL, tie the game. He went to him in overtime, beat defenders, and given there was no Jimmy Smith, there was no Marcus Peters, there was no uh, Derek Wolf for the defense in Baltimore, but the defense wasn't the what lost the game. It was their offense, but I'll get to that in a bit. He went to him and was half an inch away from scoring a touchdown. As a matter of fact, they ruled it a touchdown. People were celebrating. They were dabbing up each other from opposing team players. They were asking about their wives and their kids and how they're doing and their stocks and investments. And then the NFL goes, we need to bring it back. Let's roll it again. So the Raiders roll it again. And what do they do? They have their rookie offensive lineman have a false start. Let's go five yards back. And then let's try to run it. That didn't go anywhere because Derek Carr tried to get squeeze himself in. So it was Derek Carr, QB sneak, didn't work. Leatherwood, false start, five yards back. And what I think was a very catchable ball for Willie Sneed in a quick crosser to score a touchdown, that was touch, That was touchdown number two. That should have been touchdown number two. It went through his hands, and you could say, well, Derek Carr needs to make a better pass. No, he made a great pass. Because not only was he having to fall to his side in his back, he had a defender in his face, and he put enough mustard on that that could probably could have gone through all the way though through all the walls in that new stadium and ended up in Caesar's Palace. But you're paid to catch, and it went through the hands of Willie Sneed, who is not a starting wide receiver. I don't know why he was there, but who wasn't a starting wide receiver, and hit a defender in the helmet. The defender didn't even know it was coming to him. Or if it did, he didn't have enough time to react to put his hands up because that ball came so fast, ended up in an interception. Now, Lamar Jackson. Thank you, Lamar Jackson. Two crucial fumbles, one with Carl Nassib hitting the ball out, and then another one by number 77, defensive tackle, which his last name starts with a P. I just can't remember his name right now, which ended up being very, very costly. Guys, there was 33 points scored in the fourth quarter collectively between both teams. Both teams were just going. It was like a boxing match between offensive caller John Gruden and the defensive coordinator over there with the Ravens. I mean, it was blow for blow, hit for hit. And what ended up being in favor of the Raiders was a call that was reminiscent of the Raiders in the New York Jets game last year. Zero coverage. Derek Carr said that they had practiced that and that John Gruden had told him, if you see this formation on the defense and we have this on the offensive side, audible to this play. And he did. It was a great block by Kenyon Drake to defer or to deter the defensive end or defensive player that was coming towards Derek Carr with a phenomenal back foot throw, laid it up for Zay Jones. Marlon Humphrey knew that it was a home run. He gave up on the way. 
scored for the third time in overtime. Guys, should the Raiders have won? Should the Raiders have lost? It doesn't matter because they won. And it, this goes back and it'll make me come full circle over the overall NFL week. It was unpredictable because just as the Cowboys should have won, they still lost. The scoreboard indicated that they lost. Silver lining, moral victories, it doesn't matter. The Raiders won. And the Ravens are a resilient team with great leadership and an organization where they're probably going to bounce back. They were missing some starters on wide receivers too. But tell me this, as whatever team you're a fan of, fan of right now, if it's the Bears, the Rams, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Raiders, the Cowboys, and if I missed you, I'm sorry. Would you not take a win over any circumstance whatsoever? Of course you would. There was two divisions in the NFL that went undefeated with all the teams in their division winning. It was the NFC West and the AFC West. All eight teams, respectively to their divisions, won a game. And if the Raiders would have lost that game, that almost would have guaranteed that they don't make the playoffs. And I'm not saying that they're making the playoffs now. But their chances are a lot better. They've got a tough schedule coming up. They've got the Steelers this weekend in Pittsburgh. And then they've got to play the Chargers. And then they've got to play the Browns. I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But if they go 2-2, two and two, I believe. I believe. Now, non-Raider opinion. It was horrible. You're known as an offensive team that was your bread and butter last year what happened in the first half god knows what held the raiders in contention and kept them in the game the defense it was surprising to see that the raiders had a pass rush pass rush <laughs> pass rush pass rush since khalil Mack khalil mac left dang i'm getting a little blunder with my words khalil mac left max crosby turned up yana gongagwe Ngakwe showed up. Players showed up. Carl Nassib when Ngakwe got seated. We lost McCoy to a season-ended injury. We didn't have Incognito on the offensive line. We lost uh, Denzel Good for the rest of the year also. And they were able to plug in teams. Now, I might sound a little fanboy, but this is exactly what happened. I'm, I'm stating facts. The defense stepped up. Their safety stepped up. We had a, a better linebacking core. And they played a team that is hard to beat in week one. The Ravens are no joke. The Ravens are no joke. And although they're a little depleted, they're still a well-oiled machine that could have and should have honestly won that game. Hands down. But we'll take it and we'll do it. NFL week one came with its tragedies also in regards to losing players to injury. The latest one, and I'm just going to go in no particular order. The latest one, Cowboys defensive end Demarcus Lawrence today suffers broken foot in practice. Ouchtown population, Cowboys America's team. Gosh, guys, it's like the Cowboys can't catch a break. They just finished paying not too long ago defensive end Demarcus Lawrence, and now he broke his foot. Now the Ravens had their own, you know, they lost three running backs and whatnot, but Honestly, that was that's a, that's a strong hit to the detriment of the defensive line for the Cowboys. Another injury was Mostert in San Francisco. He's out for the rest of the year. They lost a cornerback in San Francisco. They lost him for the year. 
The Raiders lost defensive tackle Gerald McCoy. He's out for the year. Again, offensive lineman Denzel Good injured his knee. He's on rest on injured reserve. I mean, injuries after injuries after injuries just keep plaguing the NFL. And I don't think it's the last of it. You know, you had 16, 16 teams, 16 games. And here's kind of just a, a summary of injuries or COVID-19 lists of what's happening right now and what's happened during week one. So let's. The Chargers, safety Derwin James did not practice today due to a toe injury. Derwin James was one of the myriads of did not practice. They had uh, offensive lineman Brian Bulaga. They had safety Nasir Adderley and cornerback Chris Harris. Cowboys, Demarcus Lawrence is out indefinitely. Miami Dolphins tight end Adam Shaheen. He returned to campus to practice, not campus, to practice after being placed on injured reserve for COVID-19, or the COVID-19 list, better said. Wide receiver Preston Williams was limited, and Raekwon Davis for the Dolphins was also limited, or he might require surgery. Denver Broncos pass rusher Bradley Chubb was limited, his ankle. Carolina Panthers guard John Miller was activated from the COVID list. Buffalo Bills' Gabriel Davis didn't practice. Wide receiver, defensive tackle star Latule, linebacker Matt Milano, and wide receiver Isaiah McKenzie were also limited. Benefit, shout out to Fantasy, Emmanuel Sanders is a full go. The Jets had their own thing with Keenan Cole having uh, a knee injury. Jamison Crowder still hasn't been cleared from COVID-19. And New York expects linebacker Jamie Sherwood to come back this week. The Bears had their own stuff too. Larry Borum, ankle. Defensive tackle, Eddie Goldman. Offensive lineman, Jason Peters. And that's a big loss. And linebacker, Robert Quinn, were all limited. Buccaneers, JPP, was limited. And Jordan Whitehead was also limited because of a hamstring injury. Now, the Buccaneers lost uh, a cornerback in the game too. And I think he's out for the year. I'll have to verify that in a bit. The Raiders, oh my gosh. The Raiders lost Marcus Mariota. And talk about gadget, guys. Putting in your backup quarterback. He ran a play for 30 yards. And now his quad is questionable. Linebacker Nick Kwiatkowski, concussion. Defensive end Carlos Nassib, pectoral and toe. He didn't participate. And we know we need him back. Yannick Ngakwe, hamstring. And then uh, Rinchi Incognito, hopefully, will be coming back uh, this week. Linebacker Darius Leonard, Quinton Nelson, and cornerback Xavier Rhodes didn't practice at all today. Tennessee Titans, Bud Dupree didn't panic practice, and A.J. Brown was limited, but it says that it says that he'll be back. Uh, notable mentions, the Niners. Defensive tackle Kinlaw, Mosley, cornerback, linebacker Greenlaw, Armstead also on the defense. And D Ford were all limited. Uh, tomorrow's game, Evan Ingram out. Running back Saquon Barkley, questionable. Cleveland Browns, OBJ will not play Sunday against the Texans. Uh, he didn't play last week also. I think he's sitting on some people's benches. Might be worth hanging on to a little bit more. Uh, big loss for the Seahawks offensive line. Their center was placed on injured reserve, and the Cardinals' offensive tackle didn't practice either. 
Now, the biggest one here, Kansas City Chiefs' Austin Blythe was limited and didn't practice. Wide receiver, didn't Tyreek Hill, has a toe injury. He's just limited. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is limited. Flank Clark was limited. But it seems to be that they're going to definitely come in uh, and play on Sunday. There was a couple of cuts. There's a couple of signings. And I'm sure I missed some injuries. But all in all, I mean, it wasn't that Raheem Mostert got injured. I was I'm catching up. Uh, he opted for season-ending surgery. He's preserving himself. And that's a big decision he had to make, right? Uh, injuries in, in itself are going to happen, guys. Injuries in themselves are going to be very relevant. I mean, Jerry Judy and cornerback Ronald Darby were both placed in IR for the Broncos. They're both slated to be out four to six weeks. And as we continue to go through the season, you're going to see some adjustments. You're going to see guys being brought up from your practice squad, guys being signed, guys being brought on to fill in because, you know, there isn't a lot uh that a team can do to prevent injury when it's especially unexpected. But going through everything, you're going to see it repeat itself. Now, as I'm trying to gather my thoughts here, I think it's fitting uh, to kind of just give this week's power rankings as for the NFL.com uh, professionals. They're ranking... The Tampa Bay Bucks at number one. They're ranking Kansas City at number two. Rams at number three. Seahawks at number four. Pittsburgh at number five. Buffalo at number six, although they lost. Baltimore at seven, although they lost. Cleveland at eight, although they lost. Niners at nine. Saints at 10. Chargers at 11. Packers at 12, although they lost. Dolphins at 13, Arizona at 14, New England at 15, Denver at 16, Philly at 17, the Raiders at 18, I like it, the Cowboys at 19, the Titans at 20, the Colts at 21, Washington football team at 22, Cincinnati Bengals at 23, Vikings at 24, Panthers at 25, Bears at 26, Giants at 27, Falcons at 28, Tanks at 29, Jets at 30, Lions at 31, and the Jacksonville Jaguars rounded up at 32. Guys, this is going to change a lot, especially if some of these teams start picking up some wins and uh, start feeling the what we thought they were going to be, right? I don't think the Titans are going to go defeated the whole year. I don't think the Patriots are going to be a big loss team uh, or have more losses than wins this year. So it's only the first week. There's a lot of overreaction. And I kind of like that I I didn't jump on the podcast right after uh, the game on Monday night or yesterday for that matter because it gave me some time to really just clear out my head and kind of turn around and see what it, the game was really worth. Now, week two. Week two is definitely going to bring some interesting things. So according to NFL.com, Stardom and Sidham quarterbacks. You should start Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, Mac Jones. Sit Jared Goff, Tyrod Taylor, Joe Burrow, Jameis Winston, Jimmy Garoppolo against the Eagles. Wow, that one's surprising. 
But that's your stardom sit em for the quarterbacks. Sit and start for the running back position. Start Jonathan Taylor. Start Chris Carson. Start Najee Harris. Start Melvin Gordon. Start Damian Harris. Sit Devin Singletary. Sit Mark Ingram. Sit Mike Davis. Sit Josh Jacobs. Sit Tevin Coleman. I kind of agree with that one. Wide receivers. And this is just a summary, right? Not everything. Start Jamar Chase. Start Mike Williams. Whoop, whoop. Start Deontay Johnson. Start Cooper Cup. Start Chris Godwin. Start DJ Moore. Sit Michael Pittman. Sit DJ Chark. Sit Quintez Cephas for the Lions. Sit Brandon Ayuk. Okay, what was that? Ayuk, you know, go on NFL.com to read the reasoning, but they're saying to sit Brandon Ayuk. Tight ends, start them, sit them. Start Noah Fant. Start Tyler Higby. Higby. Start Rob Gronkowski. Start Robert Tanyan. Start Janu Smith. Sit Mike Gusecki. Sit Zach Ertz. Excuse me. Sit Gerald Everett. Sit Jawan Johnson. Sit Anthony Ferkser. And go again, go on NFL.com to see their reasoning. Sit them, start them for kicking. I'll jump in. Young Hoku, start them. Rodrigo Blankenship, Matt Prater, Cairo Santos, Graham Gano. Sit them. Daniel Carlson, Greg Zerline, Matt Amendola, Austin Seibert, Joey Sly. Defenses. Start sit for defenses in week two. Let's check that out. Start sit defenses for week two. And I lost where I was going to go. I'll find it. Guys, you need to start setting up your lineups pretty soon. Again, Washington versus New York Giants tomorrow uh, for Thursday Night Football. Some pretty prominent players, especially in our league where we have some defensive players, right? Defensive players got, at least for me, I got nine points uh, for some uh, Devin White uh, in Tampa. Start the New England defense. Start the Denver Broncos defense. Start Tampa Bay. Start Green Bay. Start Cleveland. Sit Baltimore. Sit Los Angeles Chargers. Sit Miami. Sit Indianapolis. And sit Seattle. Guys, week two is upon us. And week two is going to be super great. It's going to be awesome. Starting off with a divisional game uh, in Washington, or actually, I don't think it's Washington. Let me do a, a little quick check here for the Washington football team and where that's going to play. But week two does start in with a divisional game with the Giants and the Washington football team. And what I'm going to do is just go through a quick, I'm going to pick who I think is going to win the game, not only for Thursday night, but Sunday night and Monday night. So let's start. I think that when it comes to the Washington football team and the Giants, they're both teams that are going to not make the playoffs unless they make it through winning their division. I think the Washington football team is going to win that game. And I think their defense is going to be the difference. Daniel Jones is, I think, a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, definitely not an elite quarterback. However, I don't think he has enough around him, especially with a questionable Saquon uh, to go against a pretty stout Washington uh, football team. The next matchup, matchup is the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Chicago Bears. And this one, it's pretty close for me. Uh, if you look at statistically, the numbers are that the Bengals are 57% by experts picked to win that game. But I think the Bears bounce back. I think they their defense kind of comes together. And I think the Bears win that game uh, against the Bengals, 
who, yes, had a great win, a great way to start off their game. I mean, their week. But I think the Bengals pick it up, and that one will be in Chicago. Uh, Washington will also play in Washington. Bears, Texans, that one's easy. Browns. Los Angeles Rams versus the Colts, that one's easy. Rams, I don't think Carson Wentz uh, looked great. And with some of the injuries on the Colts defense, I don't think they can keep up with the offense that the Rams have. However, the Rams are going to Indy. I still don't think that's enough. Rams win. Buffalo Bills versus Dolphins. I think the Buffalo Bills will be aggravated by losing. And although the Dolphins did keep up with the Patriots, who conventionally are coached really well, I think the Bills just blow the brakes off uh, the Miami Dolphins. Patriots-Jets, that one's easy. Patriots. Niners-Eagles, Niners for sure. Although, this could be my sleeper. This could be my sleeper because I think the Eagles are going to surprise some teams. But I think it ultimately just comes down to coaching. And I trust the San Francisco coaching more than I I trust the first-year coach in Philadelphia. Raiders-Steelers, duh, Raiders. Saints-Panthers, Saints all the way. I mean, if Jameis can throw that long ball, which is something the the Saints couldn't do with Drew Brees towards the end of his career, I think the Saints uh, win that game in a long shot. Broncos-Jaguars, unfortunately, the Jaguars go 0-2. And a bigger, more unfortunate thing, the Broncos go 2-0 in the AFC West. Vikings-Cardinals, that's Cardinals all the way. They looked amazing. Chandler Jones had five, yes, five sacks on the game or in the game against the Titans on Sunday. Uh, Cardinals win. They're at home. They'll take that one for sure. Putting the Vikings interestingly at 0-2. And I know there's a statistic that says that teams that go 0-2 have a very low chance of making the playoffs. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers continues to play the way he is and the Packers don't make the playoffs, which I doubt, uh, the Vikings will miss out in a year where they could have made something of it. Uh, Falcons, Bucks, Bucks for sure. Cowboys, Chargers. I'm going to lean on the Cowboys this week just because they looked good. I think they're a better overall team uh, than they were last year. They're going to be hungry. They'll be in L.A. Uh, the Chargers could be a surprise. This could, this could be one of my uh, sleepers. This is one that are, I think I can go back and forth. But I think the, the Cowboys are picked 56% to win over the Chargers. Could be a close game, but I think the Cowboys pulled that one off. Uh, it would be great if the Chargers lost because they would go 1-1 one one in the division of the AFC West. Titans-Seahawks. This one... This one's tough because the Titans are slated to be good, should be good. They're going to Seattle where the Seattle Seahawks are really, really good. The Seahawks are have a really good winning percentage at home. Uh, the 12th man is something very, very existent. So I think the Seahawks win and yeah, Titans go 0-2. That's, that's surprising. That's shocking. Kansas City against Baltimore. Could the Baltimore Ravens go 0-2? Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh have not beat in four times since Lamar took over the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs will go into Baltimore this weekend and definitely win, especially because the Ravens are decimated at, at certain offensive positions uh, on their offensive side of the ball. I think Latavius Murray, Latavius Murray has a bigger role this week, but I don't think it's enough to go against the Chiefs, especially with the ridiculousness of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Packers-Lions, uh, Packers should win that, no problem. They're in Green Bay. It should be a redemption game. Definitely a win. So that's 
who I think will win in the NFL Week 2. Guys, a lot to divulge, a lot to talk about, and I'm pretty sure I missed on a couple of key points that were pretty much the fault of the guys not showing up to the podcast. Now, it's not to their fault. I'm just throwing a little zinger out there. This is what happens when you get Yenko by himself. No soundboard effects, no craziness. It was just strictly opinions and facts that were oozing out of your of my microphone into your ears through Spotify today. Thanks for joining, guys. Thanks for listening. I Again, I didn't want to go into the second week without being able to at least re-podcast and represent our league as a whole. I know you guys like to listen. I know you guys want to listen. And I'm glad I was able to put this together. Again, a shout out to the guys who were missing from the podcast. Shout out to uh, anyone who wants to join in. We are highly encouraging for you guys to come onto the podcast and be guests. And who knows? Be permanent on the podcast. We are very open to changing the CYJ podcast to the YJT or the YLP or the OPP. Hey, you know me. Later, guys. It was awesome. See you next week. Actually, in a couple of days. I hope your team wins as long as it's not against the Raiders. Go Raiders. See you on the other end of week two. This was the 25th edition of the Yenko, formerly known, not, not formally because we're still together, the CYJ podcast. Laters. <laughs>